He is risen. Not bad, not bad. That is an ancient tradition where I say he is risen and you respond here on this Resurrection Sunday. He is risen risen indeed. Let's try it again. He is risen. He is risen. Amen, amen. That's awesome. Hey, let's go ahead and dismiss our kids to Children's Church. Uh, So grade six and down, we've got a special uh, church program planned out for you that is going to be a ton of fun. So... Welcome to church this morning. I'm Glenn Barnes, I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, as you came in, hopefully you got some message notes. You might want to pull those out. Uh, now we are also going to be opening up our Bibles in just a, a minute here to John chapter 12, if you wanted to find your place. But hey, it is really good to be together here. It just feels really uh, special, really sacred um, to be together here in this room. Of course, last year, uh, most of us, we celebrated Easter virtually. We celebrated Easter gathered around a screen of some sort. And we were so thankful for that technology. And and God worked in powerful ways then. Uh, But boy, it is good to be together um, here in person this year. You know, for a lot of us over this whole uh, past year that we've gone through, there was a moment or maybe a a few moments where you kind of realize that this whole pandemic thing was was maybe a bigger deal than you thought it was. For me, last year it was Easter because when we first went on lockdown, I'm such a pastor, my first thought was, but what about Easter? Because it was only a few weeks away from Easter and I thought, oh my goodness, uh, they can't cancel Easter. What are we going to do about Easter? But I am happy to report that there is nothing that can stop the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? It has been a tough year, but his power and his love are unstoppable. Not only are they unstoppable, but they have opened the door. They have paved the way once and for all for life to rise up over death. And that's what we want to talk about today, what it means that life has risen up over death. But you know, as I think about this last year, uh, I think about some of those stressful moments and some of those hard times. And I know there was, you know, kind of a source of, of inspiration that really helped me get through a lot of those tough times. And I know you're thinking I'm going to say uh, God or the Bible or something like that. And I probably should. Um, but what I'm actually talking about is watching other people's embarrassing moments. Does that help anybody else? <laughs> So there's this whole thing called quarantine failure, fails. And um, just for instance, um, were any of you guys involved in a quarantine haircut, right? You know, where you just got so desperate, um, everything was closed, that you actually gave the clippers to someone who had no business cutting your hair. Um, that's what happened uh, when I gave my daughter Grace the clippers. And um, that's how that turned out. I gave her the clip. After like a minute, all of my daughter, my, both my daughters and my wife are behind me just cracking up, pointing and laughing, which is not what you want. But I share that because I still think I came out way better than this girl here who <laughs> probably missed it. Or this guy right here who actually <laughs> captioned this, no joke, my clippers just died. So, but quarantine was also really hard, not just on hair, but it was hard on relationships. We were kind of in close contact um, with each other. And so this picture was captioned, quarantine day 48, my husband is for sale. Anyone feel that way? I wonder what she got for him. So um, one of the kind of the, the good benefits, side benefits of the whole stay-at-home order was there was less traffic on the road, right? You got to look for kind of the bright side. Um, but even on these days when there was very little traffic, look at this, there is no one on the road and these two cars still found a way to get into an accident with each other. 
That's just the way the whole quarantine went. And of course, the, the homeschooling and the distance learning was really challenging um, for a lot of people, including this little guy named Ben who wrote this for his teacher. It's really more of a cry of, cry of help than anything. He says this, it is not going good. My mom's getting really stressed out. My mom is really getting confused. We took a break so my mom can figure this stuff out, but I'm telling you, it is not going good. (laughs) Anybody else feel that way this year? Well, and it has been a strange year in so many ways. But here's the thing. I was thinking about this. It's not like we have not been through difficult things as a people before, as a nation before. In fact, I was reading about kind of another difficult time in American history that was connected to the War of 1812. And uh, the War of 1812 was uh, obviously a, a challenging time for our nation. One historian wrote this about the War of 1812 and the period just coming after it. Listen to this. It says, the War of 1812 tested our young nation's resolve, tested the nation's resolve against a vastly superior British force. Yet the British were defeated and a wave of celebration, pride, and unity swept across America so strongly that national historians call the period of 1812 to 1825 the era of good feelings, the era of good feelings. And I'm just curious, as we think about all that we've been through this last year, does anyone think that, you know, when historians look back on this, they might name it the era of good feelings part two? Anyone think that that's what we're headed for? Yeah, probably not. The reality is, is people start to talk about these times that we're living in, not just because of the pandemic, but these times that we're we're, uh, living in. We hear people talk more about the era of hopelessness, an era of hopelessness. And I don't want to be too much of a downer here on Easter morning. This is really about good news. Uh, but did you know that in our nation, um, the last time it was recorded, so these statistics are a couple years old, but for, for three years running now, the um, life expectancy in the United States has gone down. That's the first time that's happened in, in generations. Three years in a row, the life expectancy has gone down in the United States. And it's not because of the normal things that you would think. It's not because of heart disease. It's not necessarily because of cancer. But what experts are saying is it's an incredible rise in what they call diseases of despair. Diseases of despair, depression, drug and alcohol addiction, overdoses, suicide. In the last 20 years, all of those things and more have just tripled in size. And again, as I mentioned, all of that was before COVID-19. And we know we don't have to look very far in our city, in our life to realize uh, that these last 12 months have brought about things like depression, addiction, anxiety, anger, fear, hopelessness, and those things have just skyrocketed. In fact, let's be honest, and not only do I not want to be too heavy, but I don't want to be too judgmental, but I think we probably would all agree on this. Would you not agree that our nation's resolve has been tested And we have not passed this with flying colors, right? We have not shown our brightest at that time. So there's examples of success. There's examples of people coming together and we love those. We want to celebrate those. But for the most part, if you look at our world, we are more divided. We are more polarized. We are more paranoid. We are more angry. We are more anxious. We are more quick to judge other people. We are more in need of an infusion of real hope than we have ever been in a long, long time. So in this era of hopelessness that we live, where do you find something solid, 
right? Where do you find something that you can stand on? Where do you find hope in this era of hopelessness? And to help us answer that question today, I'm actually going to direct us to kind of a strange and often overlooked passage in the Bible. It's something that Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 12 that I think really speaks into times like these. Because from a human perspective, when things look the the darkest, that's when God can shine the brightest. When things seem hopeless, that's when God breaks through with hope. And Jesus speaks about that in John chapter 12, uh, verse 24. And this is this little saying that I was telling you about. uh, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And as I said, isn't that a strange and kind of haunting passage, right? The, the seed kind of die and then it produces and all of these things. And so let's just kind of pull this apart. And let's start by thinking about it on just the most basic level. Think about it even on a physical level. And to try to imagine that you are the little seed that Jesus is talking about. And you're that little seed, that kernel of wheat just going through life. And then suddenly someone digs a hole and throws you in that hole. And then they take the dirt and they cover you up with dirt. And at that point, it seems like, right, there's no more light, there's no more air, there's no more, you know, hope. It seems like at that point, everything is over. There is not much good that could come out of that situation. And again, just to ask the question, I wonder if there were seasons over this last year when you felt that way. How how is this thing going to actually turn out? And maybe you're feeling that way today. Maybe you're feeling that very way today. But then this strange miracle happens for this little seed. You see something high above speaks to that little seed down below. And it says to that little seed, rise up, rise up. And then suddenly that's exactly what it does. A shoot starts to grow up and it breaks free from the ground and it reaches towards the sky. And the little roots start to to get life and nourishment from the earth. And what seemed like the end for that little seed turns out to actually be the beginning of something amazing and something wonderful. You see, something amazing comes out of what seems hopeless. Why? Because get this, what if that seed was not truly buried after all? What if that seed was actually planted. And here's what I want us to think about together here this morning, and I hope this sticks with you. What if after all that we have been through as a nation, after all that we've been through as a world, after all that you've been through as a family and in your life, the good and the bad, what if it turns out that you are not buried after all, but you are only planted? And what if there's a voice from up above speaking to you down below and saying, rise up, rise up up. This is not the end. This is the beginning. And I can bring good out of darkness. You guys, after all, the Bible is full of that story, right? That's God's story time and time again. When things seem hopeless to us, that's when God can bring about great things. Just think about it. In the Old Testament, you have the, the Israelites, <clears throat> excuse me, they come out of uh, slavery in Egypt. They go across the Red Sea and they go into the wilderness. Now for 40 years, 40 years, they wander in the wilderness and it's a tough time. They fight with each other. They blame their leaders. They're all this stuff back and forth. And it feels like that's going to be the end. It feels like they're going to be buried out there in the desert. And yet think about what God is doing. God is getting ready to plant them on the other side in the promised land where they can begin to be a light to, to the nations. 
Or think about young David. We all love the story of David and Goliath. And here's this little kid goes out and, and he's got to fight against a giant, but all he's got is a sling and five smooth stones. And everyone thinks you might as well bury the kid now, right? There's nothing good that is going to come out of this. But God speaks to David down below and he says, rise up. And he rises up. And not only does he defeat the giant, but he becomes the king, the king of the nation that ultimately paves the way for the king of all history, Jesus Christ himself. Or what about young Joseph? Joseph, I mean, he has it as hard as any of us can imagine, right? I mean, he's betrayed by his own family horribly. They throw him in a ditch. He's sold as a slave. He, he seems like things are going to go good for him, but he winds up in a place where he's falsely accused. He's accused of something he, he, he didn't do, and, and uh, he gets buried in this prison. And it seems like he's going to end his life buried in this prison. But God speaks to him down in that prison. And he says, Joseph, rise up. And Joseph rises up. And he becomes someone that that God uses to help uh, preserve that nation. Same kind of thing with Queen Esther. Remember the story of Esther? It looks like not only is Esther going to lose her life, but all of the nation is ready to, 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 to be basically ended in a horrible genocide. Genocide. And God speaks into that dark situation. And he says, Esther, for such a time as this, rise up. And we're still telling her story of courage to this day. So then what are we to make of this cryptic little saying that Jesus gives to us? That unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What's Jesus talking about in this little phrase? Well, first of all, Jesus is actually giving a, a literal prediction of what was ahead for him, what was, was coming up in the very near future for Jesus later that week. You see, we know, as we've said, Jesus spoke those words in John chapter 12. At this point, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to allow himself to be hung on a Roman cross. Now, if you think about it, we sang about the cross and, you know, we celebrate the cross, but what a strange symbol the cross is. We know it as a symbol of peace and hope, but long before it was a symbol of those things, it was an instrument of death. It was an instrument of torture. It was an instrument of of suppression uh, of people. And so when Jesus spoke about this seed going into the ground, he was literally talking about his own death as he was going to Jerusalem. Now we know because of who Jesus is, he could have called 10,000 angels to come and to, to save him off that cross, but that's not what he did. Because again, you see the, the, the cross in Jesus' day was an instrument of execution. No one in their right mind would wear a cross around their neck in those days. No one would put a cross bumper sticker on the back of their chariot. No one would display a cross in their house. No one would put a cross at the front of their house of worship. But today, if you think about it, We think of it as a symbol of hope. And if you go to any cemetery uh, around here, if you go to any cemetery, you are going to see more graves marked with a cross than you will see anything else. Why? Why why would you mark a, a grave with an electric chair or a noose or a guillotine? Why would you do that? Well, something changed. I love what John Ortberg says about the cross. He says this. He says, Jesus decided that he would use the cross to show the human race what love is really like. What an amazing thing our Jesus did. Jesus decided that he would use the cross to show people the power of forgiveness over hate and uh, forgiveness uh, over hate and life over death. Jesus decided he would use the cross as a sign of the irresistible strength of sacrificial, humble love. And so he suffered hate without hating back. He was mocked, 
but he did not mock in return. He embraced the untouchables that no one else would touch. He spoke courageous truth to power, and it made those powers so mad that they hung him on a cross. And then they buried him in a tomb, and they said, well, enough of that. That is the end of that. And things looked hopeless, and things were dark until on the third day. On the third day. Today, you guys, is the third day that we celebrate uh, what happened there because something from up above called to something down below and said to Jesus, rise up. And that's exactly what he did. He rose up and the stone was rolled away and he walked out of that grave because you see what? Even Jesus was not truly buried. He was only planted He was planted there and he rose up again. Uh, uh, The leading New Testament scholar, one of the leading New Testament scholars in our our day, N.T. Wright, writes about the, the influence of the resurrection. And this is what he says. He says, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we simply would have never heard of him. Tens of thousands of people, as a matter of historical fact, were killed on a cross or killed by Romans on a cross. It was a convenient way to suppress rebellions. Many of them were would-be messiahs that wanted to lead Israel's revolution. But of all these, only the name of Jesus of Nazareth is known. And it is known more widely across all of the world than any other name in human history. You see, there is no other way to account for this than the resurrection. There is no other way to account for uh, the emergence of the church, which one day did not exist and the next day did. There is no other way to explain how a formerly terrified disciples by their own account were suddenly filled with an devotion so great that they would brave martyrdom and death for the name, except they knew this to be true. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And friends, that gives us hope. That's the solid stuff we stand on when the world feels hopeless. And Jesus predicted it all with this funny, strange little saying that you may have skipped over for years in your Bible, where Jesus talks about this seed that goes into the ground, but then if the seed dies, it can produce many, many more seeds. And you know what we are here today? We're those seeds that Jesus produced, just like Jesus predicted. And he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me into death. But when you do, you will follow me into life. In fact, you see, not only was, was this little saying something that Jesus predicted, but it was also Jesus predicting, or maybe a better way of saying that is Jesus issuing an invitation to something that can still bring us real life today, right? Where do we find real, true life today? And I, I, I want to just give you a little warning. Be, be careful here. Be careful with what we're about to read. This is hard stuff to hear if you're going to take it seriously. If you're not going to take it seriously, it's no big deal. But this is hard stuff to hear if you actually let Jesus' words sink into you. But can I also tell you, this stuff right here, this is the pathway out of hopelessness. This is the pathway for your life, the pathway for your family, your pathway for our nation to rise up to, to, to more of a, a hope-filled and abundant life. It's shocking what Jesus says. He says it like this. He says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And you may say, what? That is not a happy, easy Easter message, right? Anyone who loses or loves their life is going to lose it? 
but you got to hate your life to, to find it? What, what is all this that Jesus is talking about? Well, you see, Jesus always had a way of turning the kingdom upside down. It's, it's called the upside down kingdom. And what Jesus is saying, if you want to find the real stuff in life, you may be surprised where it is. It's not the stuff that we normally look to. It's not the stuff that we normally hold on to. In fact, it reminds me of the, the story of the Sunday school teacher who's teaching a, a group of little kids and and this Sunday school teacher wants to te- teach them about heaven. And so she asks the question, what do you have to do to go to heaven? And so she asks the little kid, she says, what do you have to do to go to heaven? Do you have to be a, a really good person? And they knew that that was a, tr- a trick. And so she said, no, that's not it. Well, do you have to go to church a lot to go to heaven? No, no, that's not it. Well, do you have to give a lot of money to, to go to church? No, that's not it. So she says, so kids, what do you have to do to go to heaven? And they all just kind of look at each other blankly until one slips up their hand and says, well, you have to die first. (laughs) And I wonder if she was on to something there. Because Jesus says when we lose our life in this world, you know what we do? We find it. We find real life. And sometimes, I'm going to tell you, when you let go of life and when you start to, to, you know, to give those things up, it will feel hard. It will feel maybe like you're being buried. It will feel maybe like you've been thrown in a hole and there's been dirt thrown on top of you. But can I just tell you, our God is a God who is there with you. And maybe you are not buried there. Maybe you are planted. And maybe even after all that you endured, Jesus is saying to you, rise up and live. I heard another pastor give an illustration um, of this, and he was talking about kind of in his life when he starts to go through periods where he kind of loses perspective a little bit, and um, he starts to focus especially on material things, because we all do that, right? It's where we live, and so we focus a lot on material things. And he says, you know, when he starts to get too out of focus on material things, he reminds himself that ultimately at the end, everything goes in, in the landfill, right? And so to illustrate this, he says, like, for instance, here's this house. And housing is very important. Um, here in California, housing is very expensive, uh, very valuable. And um, so, you know, getting a house is, a, is, is good. Um, I know Janie and I, this last year, we have spent a ton of time and energy and money fixing up our house, the outside, the inside, all these things, because we want our house to be just, just right. And that, there's no problem with that. But we have to remind ourselves that at the end, where does the house go? House goes in the landfill, right? And then what about a car? And maybe you have, you know, a a nice car. Like this one's a Corvette. Maybe you got something really nice. And there's no, you know, nothing wrong with owning a nice car if you can afford it. But you can have the greatest car in the world. And where does it go at the end? It goes in the landfill, right? Or how about this? This is a, a trophy, and this trophy represents all of the accomplishments, all of the awards, all of the, the accolades in life that a person can get. And those aren't bad things. It's, you know, it's nice to, to achieve in life, but you can't take any of that stuff with you, right, when you die. And so where does this go? It goes in the landfill at the end. Sorry about the house. And um, uh, last of all, uh, this is a pile of money. This is real money right here. I uh, got it myself. And um, this, this represents everything that you could buy in life, right? Anything that you want, that's what it represents. And where does it go in the end? It goes in the landfill, right? It all just goes, right? Wait, wait a second. No, nope. even that. Landfill, landfill. And you know what else goes into the ground? 
you and I do. But for those that are in Jesus Christ, he calls and he says, rise up and you can live with me. You see, there's this fascinating thing that happens after Jesus rises from the dead. People begin to talk about it. But but also the church starts to move, right? Because people are starting to give their lives to follow it. And and there's some people that really hate what's going on there. In fact, there's a guy by the name of of Saul. And Saul hates Christianity. Um, He hates everything it stands for. He thinks it's bad for society. He wants to get rid of it. He actually participates in killing people until one day Jesus actually appears to him. And the resurrection Jesus appears to him, and Saul's life is dramatically changed. Saul begins to be known by the the character of Paul. He is the Apostle Paul, who starts to, among other things, write letters. And these letters become really kind of a good chunk of, of what we call the New Testament. And these are letters about Christ. And in one of his letters, 1 Corinthians, he writes a lot about the resurrection. And he talks about kind of evidence for the resurrection, why you can believe it, and this person saw him, and that person saw him, and I saw him, and these are all the things uh, that happened where people saw the resurrected Jesus. And you need to know that this is one of the earlier letters that Paul wrote. He wrote a number of letters. But this was a letter that he wrote that was not separated by, by generations of people. This was not separated by hundreds of years, and it was kind of handed down from one person to another. This was soon after Christ was resurrected. He was talking about people that had actually seen him. If this wasn't true, they would have come and said, no, that's not true. We didn't see it like that. That didn't happen. And in 1 Corinthians 15, I think it's fascinating. Paul actually quotes one of the earliest Christian uh, songs. It's actually, he includes in this section, not just what he wrote, but he quotes some of the other Christian material that predates even his own writing. In other words, this is early, reliable stuff. And after he writes about uh, Christ's resurrection, he also writes about what this resurrection can mean for us. And he says this, he says, in the same way with the resurrection, or it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. And what hope That brings us hope for resurrection in the next life, right? You know, this last year, there has been a a lot of of death. There's been a lot of death in our nation. There's been a lot of of death even, even in our church. This is April 4th, and we've already been a part of 11 funerals this year. And I look around and I see faces of people that have lost loved ones. I feel like I spent the whole time between services talking to people that had lost loved ones recently. And can I just shoot straight with you? As someone who does a lot of funerals, when you do a funeral for someone that is right in their relationship with with Christ, and they they haven't lived a perfect life. No, everybody knows that. But they found forgiveness and and life in Christ. You do that funeral, and it's sad, right? It's always sad to, to lose someone. But ultimately, it's full of joy. And ultimately, it's full of hope because you know that that is not the end. But I'm telling you, when you do a funeral for that person who's who's never worked out their eternal life, right? Never surrendered their life to follow after Christ. That person may be a great person. There may be a lot of great memories. There may be a lot of fun things and good things. And that's all great. But ultimately, it's short on hope. Jesus rose from the dead. And he says to all the other little seeds that follow after him you can rise from the dead as well. But I want to close by also saying this, our hope for resurrection life is not just 
in the next life. We have that absolutely. But hope for a resurrected life begins now. Because this last year has thrown some dirt on all of us and it seems dark and it has seemed grim. But what if you opened your heart and what if you opened your ears and what you heard was God saying to you, it's time in this life now to rise up and to rise up and live a resurrected life. Beloved, you are not just buried there, you are planted in the same way that Jesus calls to Lazarus in in John 11, and he says, come out uh, and follow me, come out of that grave, and he calls to us. And so really, as we close, as we think about what does it look like to live resurrection life in the here and now, my only question is, what is God calling you to? What is that voice saying to you? What is God calling you to rise up out of? Is he calling you to rise up to a greater devotion uh, to him, to love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? A lot of us have drifted and kind of drifted in our relationship with God, and maybe he's calling you back. Is he calling you to rise up to love your neighbor? Is he calling you to rise up with joy and optimism instead of all of the suspicion and the negativity that our world is known for? Is he calling you to rise up with love where there's only been hate before? Is he calling you to rise up to an abundant life that is connected to Christ, not just an easy and a comfortable life? Is he calling you to rise up with hope over despair and service over selfishness? Is he calling you to rise up above a sin that maybe has had its grips on you for too long? Is he calling you to rise up by laying down your rights? Oddly enough, we rise up by laying down our pride and lifting up our brother and sister in need. Is he calling you to rise up by spending time on your knees in prayer and in God's word. But it turns out after all, we are not buried after all, we are only planted. He is risen. He is risen. Father God, we thank you so much for these ancient truths that are still alive and well today. And I pray that you would speak to each of us, that we would hear your voice calling us to rise up to life, not only to eternal life when we die, but to a life here in this earth where, Lord, we make a difference for you. So guide us, comfort us, strengthen us, give us all that we need as we follow you to lay down our life for the sake of our risen King Jesus. Amen.